Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Yes, indeed. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. That means that, as you all know, it's Friday, whatever it is today, Friday the 26th of July. But you could be hearing this at any time, at any place, because it's a podcast. And that's how it works. And uh, so, as we always do with our bonus features on the Ben Jarofsky Show, we ask our guest to introduce himself. In this case, it's a him. So, guest introduce yourself well hold on hold on my i'm mark baser but does if does that mean i should say everything in a very evergreen way <laughs> like what should i or should i say this happened in the year in the 21st century or well, something like that yeah. or should I, or can i say the word yesterday yes. or tomorrow uh well you you can do all that i have a tendency of interrupting the guests to always put the dates in and stuff like that so when a guest will s- or anything it's like the journalistic impulse of me mark so if they say somebody refer, uh, re- refers to nancy pelosi will I you edit impulse. me while i talk to no i okay. will edit uh, no i will not i'll just say if you say nancy pelosi i'll just lean to the mic and go uh speaker of the house <laughs> i'm gonna try uh, to beat you at that <laughs> uh you know uh Rob i'm gonna McCormick, go former full title on everybody uh, um, because I assume nothing I assume that my, my people do not know what the, the illusion so like a HUD a house uh, urban and development uh, housing and urban development that kind of thing all right gotcha wait Mark so, Baser, uh, Mark more Baser. than Mark Baser yeah, I host uh, a show it's called the interview show like you it's a show that is held at the hideout uh, I've been doing it for 11 years we are also on intermittently on WTTW Chicago's public broadcasting station. Uh, We've done four seasons and we're gearing up for our fifth. We also have a podcast, uh, which is, we don't do it as regularly as you, but we try, we try our best. Um, but we think that our audience knows everything. So that's (laughs) where we feel no need to, uh, we don't, we think our audience is smart. Um, and so it's uh, okay. Time I, out. Hold on, I didn't. Whoa, just that joke. was pretty slick, Baser. Uh, you think your audience is <laughs> well? Dumb. I, I mean, I feel like my audience knows who the HUD secretary is. Uh, I have no idea what, what if that even means. Uh, um, yeah. uh, no, so it's on. It's on the podcast places, yeah. and that's it. That's yeah. who I am. I also freelance, right? I write for Chicago Magazine a bit. Okay. So, yeah. All right, Mark Baser. So, uh, how did you end up in Chicago? Uh, are you, were you born and raised here? I was born in Boston, or right outside of Boston. I know you're not supposed to. Like in Chicago, people get really upset if you say you're, you're they from don't Chicago. Do that in Boston, by the way. No, Boston's a weird town because Boston is small. Like, there's only like 350,000 people who live in Boston proper. Yeah. So the chances that you live in Boston proper are small. I are smaller. I actually think that that more people live in Boston, 350,000. I will look it up. My guess is 600,000. There's no way. There's no way. Well, there's these things. <laughs> there's a way. Right, there's definitely a way. While you're talking, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. You guys right, go okay. ahead. Uh, anyway, so in the Boston area. Yeah, uh, right outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. And um, I came out here for school. And then I went back home and I worked at the Boston Phoenix, like the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, no longer around the Boston Phoenix. And then I came back out here to chase uh, a person who's now my wife. Oh, and okay, so, so you came back for love. I came back for love and for a job. I got a job as well. So it had just been love, not enough. <laughs> but job plus yeah. love. We got the Boston population. And it is? 685,094. <laughs> Am I the man? I've already started off in a terrible way. Well, when I was growing up, it was 350. It's doubled. Okay, just doubled. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me just say this, folks. This is why you never assume <laughs> so anything wrong. in terms of so knowledge. Uh, but anyways, way, that's yeah. not huge, though, right? Like, that's still, no. like, what's Chicago? Three million? Uh, 2.7, I believe. 2.7. Okay. And then you've got Cambridge, Somerville, Brookline, all these towns. So these are towns outside of Boston. They're not They're not neighborhoods, neighborhoods within yeah. Boston. They've so got their like, own thing. I got you. So which which town did Newton, you which is Which is 100,000 people. So that's not a small town. I mean, it's bigger than 
what Evans is probably what ninety or something like that. I believe that the population. I want to get one population right. <laughs> I want to say Evanston's population is approximately seventy-two thousand. I'm no. going to say eighty-one. Eighty-one. All right, I go with seventy-two. Hey, got a new job here. Today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, so you grew up in Newton, and you did you say you came to Chicago for college? Yes. Did I get that correct? Yes. And that college was Northwestern. Northwestern, yeah. And the reason why I came out there was there were two reasons. One was I wanted to. I had studied hard. I'd done pretty well in high school. I wanted to go to a good school, but I wasn't going to get into good schools in my general vicinity. Like there's a lot of good schools in Boston, but I had no chance. Like uh, I applied just to some of them. Northwestern. No, no, no. no. It's just that nobody applied to them. Like nobody from, nobody from my school thought about it. They didn't even know what it was. So they would, well, they knew what it was, but they would apply yeah. to Brown or they'd apply to other schools in the area. Harvard. Or there's tons like the joke in, Sp- yeah. in Spinal Tap, like not a big college town. Like there's ton Wait, what is the joke in Spinal Tap? Their Boston show's canceled, and then one of the guys in the band says, no, not a big deal, not a big college town. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's not a bad joke. Yeah. Uh, so, by the way, do you got the population in Evanston? We do have the population. What did you say it was? I said approximately 72,000. What did you Eight, say? 81. 74,000. Oh God, I can't do it. <laughs> Woo! I uh-huh. can't do it. Yo, yo. Sorry. I can't do it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm just weird. Um, <laughs> and that so, was in 2017, so I don't know. I may have changed since then. No, it has been, Evanston's been stable. I'm, I'm, an, I'm like a real, this is, Evanston's my expertise. It's my zone, Mark. Uh, All right, how about Oak Park? Okay, now this there's always been a battle, Oak Park and Evanston. Uh, I've I'm, I I just let me just say this. And you're going to be offended by this because I think you live in Oak Park now. I have the typical Evanstonian attitude toward Oak Park, where we're a bit, a bit disdainful about yeah. you. Yeah, and um, and so the we, feelings mutual. Yeah, <laughs> so I would say Oak Park. I'd say about sixty-five thousand. I'm I don't even know this, but I'm going to say it's smaller than that. I my guess it's somewhere. I my guess it's fifty-five. Young Dennis, fifty-two thousand. I live there, so it doesn't count. But finally, uh, oh my god, <laughs> I'm wrong. I hate being wrong. Anyway, so you went to well, I didn't even get. I got Boston off by three hundred thousand. So yeah, yeah so no, I went there. Part of the reason was that, and part was that I had an uncle. I have an uncle who, at the time, owned or he didn't own it. He he managed a bookstore there, kind of a famous bookstore at the time called Great Expectations, yeah. which is a very quirky intellectual awesome bookstore on Foster. Um, and he had gone to Northwestern in the sixties and he had become part of the community there. And he brought me out there when I was in seventh grade and showed me Chicago, took me to the white Sox and all kinds of things. And I fell in love with Chicago. And from that point on, like I always wanted, I always thought I need to get to Chicago. Like that became a goal. What what is it about Chicago uh, that you fell in love with? I struggle with Chicago in many different aspects. Well, I'm not in love with it anymore, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) once you got to know it, good God. Yeah, but for the first six months, it was, uh, Chicago's got everything. I mean, compared to Boston, which is like 350,000 people, like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Chicago, is just yeah and and unlike the the rap on chicago often is that you know in boston you drive 40 minutes and you're in maine almost yeah and here you're in schaumburg but but what's great about chicago is you're here you are staying in chicago and once you're staying in chicago you can find pretty much anything and i think there's a great mix of that kind of huge city sensibility but also Something that ch- it shares with Boston, this just like great sarcasm, this great chip on its shoulder, like that's awesome. Yeah. So it's got those both qualities that I uh, love. Together. An insecurity. Yeah, about it. and and that fits uh, my fits me to a T. Yeah. So, so okay, you settled in. Uh, you went to Northwestern. You were a journalism major. I wasn't. I was a history major. Oh. My dad said. You should get a, a real get degree. A, you should get a liberal arts degree, <laughs> Mac. You should get a you know, um, and yeah, I guess so. But I worked at the paper. I wrote a column for the paper. I fell in love. I was, I was already in love with journalism through high school. We had a good high school paper, which I was the editor of, and then I fell more in love with it in college. And that's and, and I I fell particularly in love with like humorous prose. Like that's what I really love. Like Russell Baker, Calvin Trillin, the. Uh, Nora Ephron, I got really in love with then too, and all that kind of stuff. Gail Collins, do you ever read Gail Collins? Yeah, I love Gail Collins. Yeah, yeah. she's very funny. She writes for the New York Times. Uh, so you came back to Chicago. Uh, I mean, you stayed in Chicago after college, and talk about uh, how you developed the interview show. So the, I was writing for, um, 
I was writing a column for a paper that I guess it's still around red eye. I was, uh, I was, is it still around? I don't remember know. Remember when the Sun-Times came out with Red Streak oh, just my to goodness. fuck with it? Yes, I do remember <laughs> very great, well. Yeah. Great moment in Chicago. Yeah. Great or terrible moment. I did not know you wrote for Red Eye. Yeah, so I got on like the first, like from the beginning, what happened was I was working at the Tribune. I was working at Tribune Media Services, which syndicates, it's not called that anymore, but it syndicates columns. Okay. So I was editing columns for, just to give you an example, like Ariana Huffington wrote a column. So she'd hand in her column, I'd edit it, then we'd sell it to papers around the country. So kind of an older model that still exists, but it was definitely of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then I said, you know what, I can, I, I can write, I wanna write a column. And they weren't gonna syndicate it. They, well, they, they were interested, they were kind of interested. They're like, we like you, but you know, go to your job. <laughs> and Red Eye was starting at the time, and I, somebody, a really nice salesperson at Tribune Media Services liked them and sent them to Red Eye. And Red Eye said, they were just starting, and they're like, we really like this. Um, and that was both the, obviously the impetus for it being in red eye, but then it also was syndicated for a while. And for like a brief moment, I was like, I'm going to be the next Dave Barry. Yeah. But. Oh, so it was a humor column. Yeah, it was all humor. And it was like, it was like a real thing. How like did it, I not know this? I'll send you. I mean, I, now I look back and I don't, they're, they're, they're not as. They're not that funny. Well, I thought they were. I don't know. Humor, humor doesn't last. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah but maybe, or maybe they never were. But well, you know, I take those. I have Russell Baker. It's funny you should mention Russell Baker. Russell Baker was uh, for our younger listeners uh, for years and years, a columnist. This is what you do. And somebody says, right. Russell Baker. so Russell Baker for years and years was a uh, columnist for the uh, New York times. He was a humor columnist. His, uh, I would say his glory days were the 70s and the 80s. And he wrote a book uh, called Growing Up. Yeah. And Growing Up, uh, I remember reading about 1981, Mark, and really loving it. Uh, Russell Baker died about six months ago. Yeah, it wasn't I, long ago. It yeah. wasn't long I took uh, Growing Up and I reread it. It is still great. I should go back. It is still a great, it, and that's why I'm saying like, some things last. You yeah. know what I mean? It was nice to know. It, it just, it well, was, he was better than me. I mean, he was, <laughs> was the greatest, <laughs> yeah. but so don't feel bad about yeah. it. You know, he was so, I mean, what a, gr I love that. And Tr Calvin Trillin, uh, who wrote for the nation for yeah. years, um, and, and New Yorker, another one who did it. They, they just have this, like, they have this way of stinging you in this kind of folksy manner that yeah, I love. That, that like I they're, I don't, I think, well, well, he's from Kansas or, well, that's where Cal Trillin is from. Cal where Cal is, Trillin. where is Russell Baker, which is the subject of growing up. I can go yeah. on and on about this, but he uh, divided his time in rural Virginia and then his family moved, his mother moved to Baltimore and the book is, uh, it tells the story of him uh, growing up in the depression in Baltimore and his quirky dysfunction, not right, dysfunctional, yeah. his quirky family. Uh, his father had died at a very early age. His mother was uh, a widow raising two kids and her world she literally dragged russell baker to greatness you're going to be great you're you're just you, you your problem is you don't work hard enough you don't study hard enough you're going to be great and that's sort of the story throughout it's huh. kind of a, a bittersweet story particularly if you get older here i'm going on and on but if you have uh like grandparents or parents uh who are struggling with dementia uh, that's how the book opens when Russell Baker's confronted with the fact that his mother has oh, dementia wow. yeah. and her mind is traveling through time and he can't believe this is the same woman who was just sort of the anchor of his life. And then he goes back and he tells the story. All right. So you wanted to be Russell Baker and you're writing for Red Eye. In retrospect, what's your attitude about Red Eye, the Red Eye experiment by the Chicago Tribune? Yeah. Um, well, uh, let me let me say here's the pause. The positive would be this. The positive would be I loved everybody that I worked with. Um, they let me do what I wanted, which at the time was a 750 word column. Like, and then I think it got shrunk to 650, and at some point it got shrunk to I think 50 words. But <laughs> but it meant a sentence. Yeah. But for a while it was it was. That's like a 750 word column is a legit column yeah. and I got to do what I want. So, and a lot of people at the time were reading it. Now, if I remember correctly and I might remember incorrectly, the theory, which didn't pan out at the time was that you would read red eye and then you would graduate to <laughs> the grown up paper. Yes. Um, and that didn't happen. And that didn't happen for reasons having to do with technology as much as anything. Um, there was a time, there was a period in Chicago when if you got on the train, if you got on this, there were, people would be reading Red Eye. Yeah. Like I would, I would kill to go back to that time when there were people reading the paper on the train. 
So on the other hand, was it doing real investigative journalism? Of course it wasn't. Um, do Would people have... Would it be enough for it to be your news source? Of course not. Um, I don't know that they pretended otherwise, but it definitely got bashed a lot. And I remember when I would do... Uh, you started by asking how I got involved with the show and what I was what I was writing for Red Eye and like how I just brought that back. Yeah, that was good because yeah. I completely forgot yeah, where I, we went and we were on so um, many tangents. And so there was there is a show at the hideout, the Claire Zulke, and at the time John Green, mm-hmm. who wrote the big you know, wrote The Fault in Our Stars and everything, they co hosted a show called Funny Ha Ha mm-hmm. and I would come uh, and I was invited on to read something funny. And I would I would have my columns and without fail, like being introduced as somebody who worked for Red Eye at the hideout was like a signal to <laughs> not, I don't know, everybody's, everybody's cool at the hideout, everybody's nice, but it was a little bit of like, aha, Red Eye. Um, but then I would kill him. I'd just kill him with the kill column. Kill him with the column, yeah. huh? You uh, literally would read your column? Yeah, and then, so then, uh, who, somebody took me aside at one point. Justin Kaufman, you know, you know, Justin, right? Yeah. yeah. So Justin Kaufman from Justin Kaufman, went, he worked at, he works at GN now. He used to be yeah. in Schadenfreude. He worked at, is that what you're supposed to do? He worked at BEZ for years. No, you don't need to all do it. You yeah. just have to do one brief thing. It's a parenthetical. So they, they this is a reader. Editors have been inserting these things in my columns for years. Uh, <laughs> Justin Kaufman, a, uh, a host of a talk show on WGN radio. Boom. All right. Ah. Good. Good. <laughs> uh, but no, but it's relevant here because he was in a he was in a comedy sketch group called Schadenfreude, and he said to me, "He's like, hey, Mark, I know everybody's reading their their shit, but stop, stop reading it because you're going to get more laughs if you perform it." Which is right. He's right. I mean, he's totally right about that. So then I would, you know, I would memorize the column when I would read it because I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd be well, I'd be like, yeah. I, it's, otherwise, yeah. I'm just staring down at my right, piece of paper, right, right, and right. half the time people are like their papers are, you know, you yeah. have a live lit, and live lit's great, but half the time the paper's shaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, um, <laughs> it's, it's just memorize. So I would memorize it, and then yeah. I was like, I don't want to memorize these columns anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this is terrible. So then at the same time, I fell in love with. Uh, I was watching DVDs at the time of the Dick Cavett show. Mm-hmm. And Dick Cavett, uh, do you need to say who Dick Cavett yeah. is? Yeah. Well, okay, let's see if you can do this. So, Dick Cavett. Uh, uh, at the time, I was watching uh, D- DVDs of the Dick Cavett show. Comma. Uh, talk show host on public television and ABC for a brief period in the 70s. Uh, okay, I would take out brief period. He was yeah. probably oh, 60 to 70. Hey, it's not easy oh, doing these God little parentheticals. Uh, oh, you could just say Dick Cavett, former TV show talk host. T- legend. TV, TV oh, talk uh, show yeah, legend. Yeah, legend, okay. Boom. But what he did was he would, he, would ex- <laughs> he, would have very, he would have long interviews on TV with everybody from John Lennon to Jimi Hendrix to Mel Brooks to... You name the people in the seventies, I guess. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was just, I was just enraptured with the fact that that this was on TV and that he was doing it, and that he, it was a mix of funny and and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so take the cross between now, like Fresh Air and a Letterman interview or something like that. And I was like, I want to do that, and I want, and I like the Hideout, and I went to um, Tim Tutton and Katie Tutton, co-owners of the Hideout, mm-hmm. and pitched it to them. And this, and this was great. I said to them, I said, I would like to do, try this out. I'd like to do one show. And they said, if you're going to do it, you have to commit to doing it monthly. And I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, the first show you get there and it's, it was in February of 2008. And it's, wow. it's your, a couple of friends. My parents were there. A few people who came probably to see Devil in a Woodpile. Yeah. But you want to say who Devin Woodpile I have no idea who they are. They're like a jug band that plays at the hideout all the time. Okay, see, there you go. Yeah. That, but you got to be subtle about I it. Know. And, then, and, then, and you also have to do it in such a way that you, like you're telling your, I know you know this, I know you know this, but the people out there who don't know it, you know. Devin the Woodpile, were, they were all members. They were all HUD secretary for years. <laughs> ben Carson is in that group, I believe. Um, and anyways, so. Um, Name three HUD secretaries other than Ben Carson. Go. Uh, ben Carson Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I don't think I could do it either. Um, um, I, is, is HUD still around now that Ben Carson is? Yes, HUD is still there. Califano. Yeah. Is Richard Califano. Uh, can I do this? Um, no. She Just was, make up a name. Nobody will know. 
Oh yeah, uh, Dennis Sheeter and uh, <laughs> Doctor D and uh, who was my la- who was on the Ken Davis? There we go. All right, Mick Dumkey was uh, a secretary of HUD for many years. Oh, he was, he was he was he was my favorite. <laughs> it was really good. So anyway, so yeah, so then we did the show and it took off. It did well, and then we. So that first show, how many people showed up? I I, I think it was like. 30 or so. How'd you publicize it? How'd you get the word? Out? I, so I went to, we were living in the, t- at the time we were subletting in Evanston mm-hmm. and I went to copycat. Is that a place in Evanston or quick copy or is there's the one at Dempster? There's it, no, it was one on, I don't know. It was one it's on a copy. Store. It was a copy store okay. that I had knew from college uh-huh. and <laughs> I spent a bazillion dollars on copies cause I was too afraid to do it at work. I since got over that real quick. I mean at the red eye. Were you still at the red no, eye? No, well I was at Tribune. Tribune. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. So I never worked in the red eye office. Did they actually have, there's like a red eye office. Yeah. Red yeah. eye. I mean, the, the phone rang red Jesus, eye. Back to the mocking. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Go uh, ahead. Red eye. Uh, so anyway, so you know you, who worked at red eye? N- no. Do you remember Liz Crokin? I don't know why I'm bringing this no, up. I shouldn't I bring it up. No. But Liz Crokin was a gossip columnist for Red Eye, and uh-huh. she's the most famous alumni of Red Eye because she's now a member of the Pizzagate wing of the world. She's like a leading force in the Q- QAnon, all that stuff. Really? She doesn't live in Chicago anymore. Um, but if you go on to her, like the, I think she was kicked off Twitter. But I think still she's still allowed oh on my. Facebook. Like she is full. Was she that way back in Red No, I, I didn't know her. Like, oh. she, but she was a gospel cop. She wrote yeah. about who was e- who was eating at Gibson's. Uh, we're talking on on about Red Eye, and I've just realized: Do we identify Red Eye to begin with? We, we spent a lot. Red Eye was a publication by the Tribune. It was a daily. Uh, it came out what five days a week. It was a tabloid. They were. I always thought they were trying to uh, steal the reader's thunder. My beloved but totally, reader. Totally, totally different audiences totally different missions reader has a real had a real point of view i mean yeah. i don't think red eye was claiming to have that you know yeah so. anyway your 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 you, uh, explanation that it was, you, you would it was like an evolutionary thing you would start with the red eye and work your way up to the tribune that's exactly how they looked at the world so it's hard to be a red eye person if if you're viewed as like a training wheel if you follow what i'm saying a journalistic training wheel yeah, I guess I, um, I I don't take that as an insult as somebody who worked there. I didn't feel like I was a training wheel, um, but I felt eventually I would I would get a real huffy, and I would and I would I would be riding a I don't know I can't take yeah, the metaphor anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I liked it. I honestly did like it. And and my one regret, <laughs> my one regret is that it didn't that I wasn't doing it when social media happened because yeah. I think that's a great thing if you're a columnist to get the word out about your column or to get reaction. And by the way, there was no social media when you started your show. No, no, that's why. So I'm printing out the, the, the posters. Mm. I'm going to, the hideout does a little of it, but I was also going to various places around town and saying, will you hang up my poster and blah, blah, blah. And we hit it out of the park with our first show. In retrospect, we had our first guests were, we had three guests. We had John Green, who I was friends with, and went on to write The Fault in Our Stars, but at the time had one novel out that had done well, but not, he wasn't John, the John Green that people would know as a star. Um, I had Hannibal Burris, mm, who wow. was, had just, the only reason why I knew him was, and I didn't know him, I, he was voted number one Chicago comic by Time Out Chicago Magazine, or their favorite comic, and he was no or near, I mean, his ascent was very quick, so I guess he was near, but, but he wasn't famous. And then this woman, Julie Smolianski, who I love, who owns a company called Lifeway. And the reason why I had her on was because I had had stomach issues. <laughs> and my in-laws, is such a, my in-laws are from Russia, and they like this kefir drink that they would have in Russia. And they said, well, you know, Mark, you have to, if the, the thing to, for your stomach is not to go to a doctor. Don't worry about that. That's what some people do. But you need this probiotic yogurt drink. And so I drank the probiotic yogurt drink and I, <laughs> I think it really helped me. And so I became in love with the product. And then I found out they're from Chicago and I was like, I gotta get the, I gotta get the CEO on. And then she came she on. She came on. Yeah. Well, that's a quite an impressive show. By the way, for 10 trivia points, John Green, you mentioned him now twice. So for 10 trivia points, who is John Green's best friend in politics? Uh, that's Daniel Biss. Very good for knowing that. 
Dang, man. I didn't know how you knew that. He's good. Yeah, he is good. The only reason I know that, I was reading a John Green novel, and it was about a kid who was really good at math. And uh, they he gives credit to Dan Biss for coming up with some kind of mathematical yes. theory. This is the novel before that Dan Biss became relatively well-known in the Chicago area. And he was, I think, a state rep in Evanston at the time. I'm like, oh, my God, that's Dan Biss. He's friends with Bob. And I watch his career. Yeah, they've I'm been friends for you know that. Long time. I can't believe you know that. Anyway, um, so anyway, that first show. I redeem myself uh, <laughs> from the population gaff. <laughs> well, you got Oak Park sort of. I did. <laughs> You're on a roll now. Uh, let's hope there's more trivia questions in the show. So uh, that first show, that's quite a lineup, actually. I mean, yeah. very impressive lineup. But lucky. I mean, it was a lucky lineup, too. So. And so then you're now you're on a roll, and you the and and the Tutton said, uh, "Kid, you got this gig on a regular basis." Yeah. So first Friday of the month, and then I don't do it as much now. I mean, I do because it, so five years. So then, like four years ago, um, or six years no six years ago. I'm sorry. The producer of Check Please, David Manilow, uh, cooking food you know, restaurant show on yeah. CTW, uh, was starting a new show called My Chicago. It was right around the time of. Uh, comedians and cars, but he didn't get the idea from Seinfeld. It was, but it was a show where I drive around in a car uh, with Odess, uh, um, Odette Yusuf, which was the other person, other co-host, and we would take turns driving kind of known people around, known Chicagoans around in cars and talk to them about their lives. Um, and he chose me as a co-host. We did the show for six episodes. They didn't bring it back, but it did allow me to get kind of an in with TTW. And then I said I'd love to do my show, the interview show, at T- on TTW, still filming it at the hideout. And so we've been doing that for the last five years. And because of that, I don't do it every month. I do it probably eight or ten, eight to ten times a year instead of 12 times a year mm-hmm. just to allow for editing time and shooting time and all the, all the like. And so, like, when you, ha- when you do that show, uh, what, do you, what, do you, what are you sort of looking for with your guests? Are you looking for humor? Are you looking for insight? I'm looking for humorous insight. Oh. Um <laughs> No, seriously, I guess I'm looking for, I'm looking for them ideally for what anybody would hopefully be looking in an interview for, to talk about things that they're not, that they haven't talked about in other interviews. I had Charlie Trotter on, the late chef of um, a restaurant called Charlie Trotter's. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting really good at that, uh, the parenthetical uh, explanations. Uh, and we had, and he was in a great mood. We had a great interview. I still think it was a good interview, but, but. I, but I guess like maybe a year later, I was reading an interview with him yeah. and I was like, oh man, it's all the same, same stuff. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's people were entertained. It wasn't that if, you know, not everybody's reading every Charlie Trotter interview, yeah. but you still want to come away with new things, things that they haven't said before. Things that involve a, a give and take, I'd say. Like, if I'm just talking the whole time and you're not saying anything, then then you could have just set up the microphone. Like, yeah. let's have a real conversation. So yeah. that's, I guess, what I'm Well, I mean, uh, there's some advantage. We talked about that briefly. There's some advantages to that because you don't have to do a lot of work, so you can just let the guy talk. But there, you're right. There is no give and take. There's no exchange uh, for better or for worse. Have you, ever, have you ever had anybody on the show that you've really disagreed with what they said? I wish I had. I wish I, I did. I, I, I feel like I've, I've, I feel like it's a weakness of mine that I haven't had that. Um, I mean, you wish it you did, well, you haven't, but you wish that you did. I do. There's, so there's two, there's two parts to that answer. The first part is I think I've mostly had people on that I admire mm-hmm. and I should either a change that up or B change it up. So I admire people who I don't necessarily <laughs> always agree with. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. Um, but the second part is, and it's a weakness of mine is I think I have a little bit, which is has served me well as an interviewer is I'm a little bit of a chameleon in which I think you'll say something and I'll be like, yeah, that sounds right. And then somebody else will say the opposite. And I'll be like, oh yeah, you got a point, you know? And I, I, that's probably for lack of, I should have, I do have convictions, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm easier to sway. You're with the, easy to convince. I'm easy to convince for the moment. So it, it, do you ever, have you ever said something that immediately or after the show you realize, I really didn't believe that? I wish I could go back and change that? No, I don't. I've said things I regret. 
and I can change it through the magic of editing for TV. Uh, um, oh, so it's not, it's not like this. No, We're no, I'm this not. There. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, here we go. Uh, uh, but we don't also. I we don't. I don't normally have politicians on. I don't, or we don't talk about politics that much. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is, um, I find that politicians are hard to interview in terms of sharing things that they don't want to be said, I think, or maybe I'm not as good at it as getting people to open up about something that otherwise, you know, they have, they have their, their talking points. Mm -hmm. Um, we've had a few on and they've been good. I've, I've enjoyed them all. Um, the second thing is when, now that we put stuff on TV, there's a lead time. We, we, because we're not putting it on the next day. Like we should, we should be better at it, but for various reasons we don't. And things change so fast that you could be talking about, we had a guy on um, talking about Trump's legal issues and Mm. we put it on the air like two months later. And I, I made it work because he still had unbelievable amount of legal issues, but it took this weird editing job where everything was still accurate, Mm. but it was not, it's not, it wasn't ideal. Do you, uh, you say you don't have politicians on uh, very often. Do you have political views of your own? I do. I do. And they are? I am a Democrat. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go on a limb there. Uh, I've never, I mean, I vote all the time. I vote in every single, I mean, I think I voted in every election that I've been able to vote in. Um, I've always voted for a Democrat. Uh I'm not... I find myself, somebody wrote this on Twitter the other day, I forgot who, but they were, there was an article in the Atlantic um, yesterday about how millennials aren't willing to wait and they aren't willing to wait for the compromise that people like Pelosi and Schumer mm-hmm. are, you know, they want to go with the system, they want to work with, you know, all that. Um, they don't want to, Pelosi's been pretty vocal about the fact that she doesn't want to impeach, whereas people often younger, but not only younger say, come on, we impeach. Let's, what are we talking about? This is why you're here. And the person on Twitter, and I forget who it was, but she tweeted something because the article compared millennials to boomers Mm -hmm. and I'm Gen X. And so she was like, what, what, how come nobody mentioned Gen? I'm totally Gen X. Yeah, you are. Yes. Uh, I just had to do the, yeah, Yeah. you are. Yeah. I, I said, Um, correct. I'm going to correct you on your, yeah, I know what generation (laughs) I am at least. I was like, uh, technically, you're not. No, you're not a boomer. I mean, you're not a millennial. But Go the ahead. article was comparing, as it always happens, mm-hmm. boomers with with millennials. Yeah. And she was arguing that she was saying, "What? What do? What, what do Gen X feel? I think we're just fed up with everybody." Mm-hmm. Which I think is cliche, but also somewhat accurate for me. Which is that, and it it gets back to that kind of wishy washy thing that I wish I didn't have, which is. I feel like I see both sides. Like I don't feel I could see why you would impeach Trump today or why you should have done it two weeks ago. And then there's another part of me that's like, yeah, but all right, I can yeah, see no, why I you wouldn't. You. Yeah. Uh, on this show, uh, I'd call it a, a flapping in the breeze, like a flag. It doesn't uh, work on radio though, right? You shouldn't uh, do that on radio. You well, should come hard with your view. <laughs> hey, maybe that's why I was fired. Uh, <laughs> I, I, no, I, I have a point of view on a lot of issues, Mark, but there's, Sometimes, like Dennis will always throw at me. He he does this as part of our, our gag. He'll read something in the uh, that's in the news, and he'll turn to me and just, "What do you think?" You know, what I mean, the, yeah. And then, boom, you got to come up with something. Have it, have it. That's your hot take. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I, I I'd like to think about it for a moment. You know, maybe just think about it, and then I discover that. Um, well, I'm not really sure what I think about this issue, and then I give the pros and the cons. And just, I just feel as though there's some things I'm not certain about. Other things I've been studying them forever i have a certainty about them uh but uh, I, I i can understand and respect that uh we who in your opinion are the great interviewers the great tv or radio interviewers that uh, your, your your role models if you will well dick cavett's obviously number one mm. he i think he he just does it with he he interviewed people with a uh it seemed, I know it's not, but it seemed effortless. It seemed that he was very easy to go from uh, being funny and to joking around to being very serious. He was able to, again, meet the guest on the guest's own terms and be the tradition, what, what the word, where the word comes from, host, right? You're a host, you're bringing somebody into your place and you should treat them 
accordingly. Um, I think when he wants to be on the old show, I thought Letterman could be great. I thought he could be, especially when he did show his convictions. He would have, I remember he had a couple times, even later, he would have like Bill O'Reilly on mm -hmm. and he would just be ruthless, but awesome. Yeah. And I thought he could be, be great there. Um, you know, I love Terry Gross, although she's a much different, you know, type of interviewer. I mean, she's not trying to be funny. She's not trying to be entertaining, but I mean, no, I mean, I don't mean that in a bad yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's, yeah. you know, she's not, she's not look at me, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but I could, you know, I think I've probably listened to nearly not every interview, but it's, it's one of the people that I'll listen to, you know, look forward to listening to the interview, no matter who she's interviewing, which I think is the sign of a, you know, good interviewer. Um, I don't know. Those are, those would be the Have top you three. Have in your mind, uh, this maybe revealing too much of myself ever like when you're walking do you have a dog i don't oh well, i've had cats okay so you never walk a cat but late at night i walked the dog yeah and i would find myself talking to my this is really weird but i don't know why i'm confessing this to you uh and Tell i me that. I, I would do <laughs> i've actually written this so i don't feel so bad about confessing it uh, <laughs> <laughs> i would do an interview uh, but Terry Gross would be interviewing me in my head, and I would be talking. Well, Terry, that's a good question. That's a very good. <laughs> we question. have. I mean, I my thing is, I'll pretend I'm Springsteen. Like I'll be just like I'll put on the music and I'll pretend I'm him. <laughs> and and I I said that once. I was interviewing Kelly Hogan, the great singer. She's in the band The Flat Five. She's toured with the Decembers. Um, very in parentheses. Well done. Thank the way you. you did that Thank was you. really, wasn't Thank that you. good, D? Thank you. Because you just like naturally just I, said it. I know it now. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was thinking that she would totally be on my wavelength. And yeah. she's like, no, nah, I mean, I, I know how to sing, so I don't do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's basically, she was really nice about it, but that's basically, but so yeah, I get what, you know, it's this, it's this, then I feel like an idiot after I do it. I don't know if you feel like well, an idiot. Well, no, I, I do but it. there's no one around. Although one time I, I actually wrote, I could send us you. Uh, I was doing one of these things, and then somebody stepped out of the alley. And then I had to do the other thing where you pretend you're not really talking to yourself, you know, oh, or you pretend that you're on a phone. Oh, I can't hear you. Um, but I think that speaks to Terry Gross's strength, uh, not just my insanity, because Terry Gross has a way of how do I put just like makes people want to talk. It seems there's something about Terry gross. Yeah. The way she approaches her, her the guests that she's interviewing. It's, it's just like the people want to participate. So I agree. I, first of all, let me preface this by saying that she's great. I think there also is something that happens. Let's take Howard Stern. Howard I was the next to my okay. list. Howard Stern's a great interviewer, right? You, I, yeah, my mind. There you go. Howard Stern, a longtime talk show host. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dennis loves Howard Stern. Okay. So you go on his, sh if you were invited on his show, you go in knowing everything that he's done, not everything, but you know his reputation. You know he's going to go f and ask you things that you probably don't want to say, and then you're going to do it. And so Terry Gross is obviously a very different interviewer, but she's has such capital that you're going to open up for Terry Gross in a way that you might not open up to somebody who's you you have no idea about their reputation. Steve Martin once he's it's on record he gets up on the on stage and he says like how's everybody doing and everybody cracks up and he's like I didn't do anything yet <laughs> and it's because everybody was ready they yeah. were ready for him yeah <laughs> no I really, literally wanted to know how you were doing <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so Howard Stern yeah do you listen to him I do. Um, you, you know, you don't want to say anything ever negative about Howard Stern, but I think he's, go he's, ahead. He, what do you mean? If, if you get into a war of words with Howard Stern, good for your career. I, I love him. I love him so much. I think he's gotten much, this is a, maybe not an insult. I think he's gotten much kinder to his guests, which sometimes doesn't make the interview as interesting as Ooh. they used to be. Like he's, 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 and I think he's a kinder person in general. Like that's the, kind of the tenor I get from the show when I listen to it. And I still love the interviews, but I don't think he goes, he gets as much out of the guests sometimes because he's, I think he's, he holds back and maybe in a way that he doesn't want to, in a way that I wouldn't do. Like he, he's, he still goes further than I'd ever go. Like, I'm not going to ask you about your sexual life. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not going to, I mean, just wouldn't do it. Yeah. You know? Um, so, 
but yeah, I think he's. Did, I don't know if you saw Howard Stern's interview with David Letterman. It was on the David Letterman Netflix. I, it's show. on my list. Oh. It's on my list. Well, it, in, in in both of them were confronting the role that they played with the um, emergence of Donald Trump as a national figure, which is what enabled him to become president. Right. And both of them are culpable to a certain degree because they gave him publicity. They treated him, they gave him a platform to be Donald Trump and to promote his brand. Uh, and that's effectively what led him to get the apprentice, the show and led him to where he yeah. is now the president. And they feel guilty about it. And I don't think they should. Really? Why? Um, well, I, so I grew up like we were talking about in Boston mm. and the, the, like we weren't in New York. We were four hours from New York, but Donald Trump was a presence to some degree in, not in my life, but in the culture that maybe he wasn't in other parts of the country at the time. I'm not sure. Um, and I think everybody just took it as fact that he was a total buffoon. And, you know, I would get Spy Magazine, like I had a subscription to Spy Magazine. They did as much as anything to give him publicity, but they were ruthlessly mocking him. Mm -hmm. Howard Stern would have him on, and, and so I guess Letterman as well, and they would just get him to say dumb things. And it was like a wind-up doll, right? Um, and so the idea, first of all, the idea that he would ever be president was so beyond anybody's conception back then that why would you feel guilty about it? And second of all, they were, again, I think it was done in the spirit of, of mockery to, you know, you could say it was cruel. I mean, I don't think anybody's worried about being cruel to Donald Trump, but, but the, the idea that they would feel culpable for it, I doesn't, doesn't well, you watch your interview. Now, uh, Jimmy Fallon did the thing where yeah. he rubbed his hair. Mm -hmm. That to me was a, you know, that's, that was well past the point of no return. That's where you probably shouldn't be doing that. Parenthetical Jimmy Fallon. Uh, is a t no, I'm not going to do that. But Jimmy Fallon did that about, I think, October of 2016. So this was when Donald Trump was in full Donald Trump uh, form, blasting Hispanics, talking about a wall, uh, stirring up hate. And Jimmy Fallon made him into a sort of a lovable character and he went that direction. Many people were upset with him. Were you upset with Jimmy Fallon when he did that? Was I upset with him? I don't, I mean, it's, that's a weird thing to like, I'm upset with like people in my own life, not people on TV, I guess. Um, I, I thought it was bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, I was railing and ranting. But I'm not, a, I mean, I don't know. I guess, <laughs> I, 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 were you upset with him though? Like yes. it's weird to be upset with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yeah, I was like, so upset with if him. If you're upset with Jimmy Fallon, you're going to be upset all the time. Can I, well, <laughs> welcome to me. Can I just tell you this? I have these things I'm going to share. You're a very good interviewer. You're getting me to open up. <laughs> I, they're, they're, these, these things, like I hold these grievances for a long time. I make fun of myself for it because it's, it is kind of funny, but, uh, I, my wife was really upset at, at, at Jimmy Fallon for that. I don't know if she's gotten over the grievance. Do you think yet. it did anything? Do you think it really helped him? The great, that's a great question. And, uh, when you, put the word, I think it did help him. I think, uh, I was upset with Oprah in 2000 when she gave uh, George Bush, uh, baby Bush, she allowed him to come on the show and, uh, humanized him that's the word I'm right trying to think. or normalized uh, yeah just like he's a really good guy oprah likes him and uh i think that's part of the reason well that was a very close election yeah. so i think that's part of the reason why he was able to defeat uh, gore uh and uh, i do believe that uh, jimmy fallon giving donald trump that uh position when donald trump was just um uh, emanating hate was a way of, of avoiding the hate that he was sending out. And uh, I think that uh, that was an important, um, I did think that helped. So I think I, I, I got mad at, I got mad at Saturday Night Live when they would have Trump on. Um, so that's similar. And I got mad at, here's, I'll open up here. I got mad at myself. There were two stories that I wrote for Chicago Magazine that I very much regret. Um, because they both took place in Trump Tower here. And it was before, I believe, I might be wrong, but I believe it was before he announced his candidacy. But it was after 
he had started on the birther, birther stuff. Mm -hmm. And one was about, I mean, they're both silly stories. One was about a very expensive haircut that I got at the Trump Tower. Like the fact that it was in the Trump Tower was, didn't matter. It was just that I was getting a, they, they said, what, what's it like to get a 200 and whatever dollar haircut, which, you know, the magazine pays for. And then I go and I see what the haircut's like and I write about it. And the other one was somebody, some, some obviously billionaire bought the penthouse at the Trump tower and mm-hmm. we did a little tour of it. And it was it, at the time it, there was some distinction about it. It was either like the highest point or the biggest thing or what, I don't know. There was some, it beat every, it beat anything in New York or something. So we wanted Chicago magazine wanted to do it, which was a reasonable story, except for now I look back and think not that it helped him in any way win, it didn't, but that I was a party to it, that I went in there and did the stories. Yeah, well, that's um, essentially what uh, Howard Stern and, and David Letterman uh, were uh, uh, acknowledging in this interview. And I urge you to watch it because, first of all, you like both of them. Uh, and uh, David Letterman, I think, really feels it more than Howard Stern. Or I, I should take out that. David Letterman really feels it. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the show with Howard Stern, there's a cutaway to David Letterman on a horse. I'm not making this up. Right, he's in Montana. Yeah, yeah. No, not Montana. He's riding through an area. I think it's in Utah. It's uh, it's protected national um, park that Donald Trump is uh, is going to open up. Uh, and the business the, the business or, could yeah. be possibly uh, developed. There could be uh, uh, drilling, mining going on there, and it's this absolutely gorgeous national um natural landscape and it's so beautiful and the notion that donald trump would allow it uh, to be destroyed by uh, mining or drilling or what have you or opening it up to development or roads is just sickening and and i think that david letterman was a conscious decision on his part to end this show by showing you that to say I, there are ram, there are consequences for, sure. for the games that we play for the entertain. You know what I mean when we humanize evil people. Yeah, and so that was the point he was making. I mean, what does so? Uh, I I understand the point he's making. I understand the point that Stern's making. Uh, would would how Howard? I mean, they each could go back and they could pick out probably twenty five other guests who aren't president. <laughs> that you could similarly regret yeah. because they could have been, you know what I mean? Like it's, I guess then it becomes down to who do you want to have on your show? Now, personally for my show, and I think for your show as well, like the idea of having somebody on like Donald Trump on prior to him getting into politics is uninteresting to begin with. They're just not, it's not what we're doing and then they're not so, okay, you can get a laugh out of it, but they're not, they're despicable people. Um, but again, that, that speaks to what I was, my point that I was making about Stern. Like Stern back then would do that. The Stern of today, I don't think would do it because he's, he, he's, it's, I think it's a different show than it used to be. Yeah, it is a different show. It is a different person. And if you take a look at the book that he has out now, a best selling book, uh, it's, it's excerpts of interviews that he's done. Howard Stern comes again. Yeah. And, uh, all right. Now let's talk about some of the people that you have interviewed. Uh, I've had you, you on. Yes. You had me on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was thinking of, more prominent people than me, but uh, yes, I, I believe I've been on your show twice. It has been twice. Uh, and uh, did you ever have Rahm Emanuel on? No, I, I, did, I tried once in the way you're not supposed to try. He was running for the, uh, the mayor and he was at the L stop that I was getting off at. And I, he went up to shake my hand and be real nice about it. And then as soon, as soon as I said, Hey, I'd, I'd, I host a show, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to have you on. He turned like a dime. I wasn't a voter anymore. And he's just like, Oh, you can talk to that person if you want. Yeah. It was, wow, <laughs> was like, that's man. amazing. <laughs> was this 2015? Uh, the first time he had ran 11. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, the people who I've had on that are from, I had Preckwinkle on who I, who I really loved having on to uh-huh. tell you the truth, because she's one of those people who love her, or hate her. She doesn't seem to care, which is a weird quality in a politician. Yeah. Um, and then I had, uh, Quinn, I had Quinn on. Pat Quinn. Yeah. Pat Quinn on. And he, I didn't, he was, I don't know if he was running for anything at the time. He was past him. He must've been, but I don't remember what it was, but I got him to talk about how he once dunked a basketball but nobody was there. It was kind of a very Pat Quinn story. Yeah. Um, Which but it was a great story. Leads me to believe, did you really dunk the basketball? <laughs> right. If, if it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he did, but how's like you dunk it once and nobody's there. Like that's a, 
Um, I'm, the, the best interviews I've had, uh, let me think. I've loved having Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. And she's been on a couple of times, and she's just, I don't know, I just love having her on. Um, there's a woman who works at the Field Museum, uh, Emily Grassley, and she's, her title is something like Chief Curiosity Correspondent or something. Like, she, she was working at a small museum in Montana, I believe, and she started making YouTube videos that caught on, and then the Field Museum got wind of it, and they hired her to kind of make those videos for the field, and she's just a delightful person and very, like, her title, curious about everything, and just kind of one of those people that, unlike you or I, doesn't seem to have a cynical bone in her body, which is sometimes nice to talk to <laughs> yeah, somebody like no, that. Yeah. yeah, so I really like having her on. Yeah. Um, those are two of my f- favorites. I, I've actually liked most, nearly everybody I've had yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, now, okay, so how would you deal with Donald Trump if you had him on this show? Well, first of all, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have him on. I mean, that's just, there's no, I guess there's no answer beyond Why? that. Um, I don't, I don't find him to be a, a human being worth talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I think anybody who lies as much as he does, uh, who most people, I mean, we all have our blinders, but he, it, it would be impossible to, there's some people and it's not just Trump, but there's some people that it's impossible. Again, we talked about having, you want to have a conversation, yeah. like it's impossible to have a conversation. There would be no, there's no give or take there. There's no, um, and the last thing is I just find everything that he's done to this country and to people so offensive that why would I want to well, did you, be there? Um, do you find yourself, there's so many people that come on this show. But I would have Rom on and I'm not a huge fan of Rom, but I'd have him on. Why would you, what's the difference between Rom and Trump? Well, I mean, in this, in this I mean, area. I know you don't like Rom, but you know, there's a difference between yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rom and Trump. I always tell people this when I say that. And I always say this. I think I said this on your show. It's like, <laughs> always say this when people say that. And I always say, I don't know Rom. And so I cannot tell you that I do right. not like Rom. I don't like the way he ran the city. That's I always right. say that. That's I, right. I always make that distinction. My impression of Rom, mm-hmm. whether, apart from his politics, apart yeah. from what he did, mm-hmm. is that he's somebody with a broad range of interests and an intellect. And those two things would allow for a conversation. Yeah. I think Donald Trump falls into that category. Really? Yeah. I, well, Broad range of interests? Yeah. Donald Trump is inter- in he's interested sports. in Donald Trump. You know, he's interested in Donald Trump. Well, okay. If you want to go there, Rom's interested in Rom. I mean. No, not to the, not to the level. No way. No way. Wait, Man. you don't think you can have I a think co- it, I, any, most politicians are, are interested in themselves. Yeah. But if you asked Trump, if you asked Rom, let's say you talked to Rom and you asked him about dancing which he had done right he would have been a dancer i think he would have some thoughtful things to say about dance that he'd seen if you talk ask trump about golf he would maybe say that tiger woods is a marvelous golfer and then he'd talk about his own golf clubs i i believe that if you ask ram about dance he would somehow or other turn his answer into an attempt to validate whatever he's school done closings. with school closings. <laughs> okay. So in other words, we didn't close any schools yeah, with good dance, dance programs. programs or what we were able to no, do. We closed no. those schools. <laughs> so in other words, I, I believe that Rom and Trump are very similar in that they're always thinking about how they can promote their brand. And we may like Rom's Rom doesn't have stakes. Okay. I mean, he All didn't right. go so, that far. D- Give him time, okay? He's younger, all right? Take a chill pill, man. Uh, uh, Rom's always telling me to take a chill pill. So anyway, my point is is that I do believe that Donald Trump has interests outside of promoting Donald Trump. I just think they what all, are. What are they? I, it's pretty clear that Donald Trump is interested in golf. But uh, how? How he's interested in the in the? He likes to golf. He likes. To he watch likes golfing. to own golf clubs. Yes, he goes out golfing. Okay, I get okay. that. Yeah, you but, could probably talk to. You could probably if 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 you sat Donald Trump down. I, listen, here I am saying this. I never met the guy. I don't know either. But yeah. I I could say Donald Trump. In your humble opinion, who's a better golfer, Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods? Why? What do you think? Why? Come on, let's really. He wouldn't, get, he wouldn't be able to answer it. 
He, well, I mean, we'll never know. Know, we'll never we'll know. We'll never know. <laughs> come on, Daddy. Come on. They're down. both fabulous golfers who have both been to my clubs. That's yeah, what he'd okay. say. Yeah, maybe. And, and, which is not that worse than Rom saying, you know, <laughs> when I close those schools, <laughs> I use the money to. Promote. But now we're getting to the politics part, which I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. I. Uh, so I don't know. I asked you that question. Would you have Donald Trump on? And I. I, I don't know if I would want to interview donald trump either for that matter um so all right do you have that existential dread that so many people that come uh, onto this sh- onto my show do about the upcoming election yes i i think i right now i think trump's gonna win i hate it i hate saying it why do you say that well i don't i i see well i saw what happened last time i see where the electoral college is at which I think I read something even recently, which just shows that even even if you get more people out yeah. in the areas where people are really, really pissed at him, mm-hmm. it's not going to help. You can get every pissed person in California to come out. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. Um, you, obviously, you're either red or somebody told you about Nate Cohn. That was the... Uh, that's right. It was the upshot, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was an article by Nate Cohn in the New York Times. We've been talking about it obsessively on this show. Yeah, that's the article. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that one was... That's, that was problematic to yeah. me, right? Um, it's so early that nobody in the field of 25 candidates yeah. has has shown to be the person uh, who, who can, A, galvanize enough people, and B, debate the man, again, to have a conversation with the man, which is always, a like, I think was part of the problem that he just bulldozed everybody, especially on the Republican side. Yeah. Um, I also, and this speaks to what we were talking about earlier about being kind of in that middle zone. Like I've got, on the one hand, I read and and admire all of um, people, you know, like on in the AOC camp. And then on the other hand, I got my dad, who I really admire, <laughs> telling me, just scared out of his mind that that we're that the Democrats are going to blow it by by nominating somebody who's not capable right, of getting on. enough people. No. Do you think that, that, see, this is the vote. This is one of my favorite themes. Voters as pundits. Right. Voters act like pundits sometimes. So they, they want to opine and they want to be like the, the person on the TV show up, coming out like with a, uh, almost a cynical answer, you know, like who can win this horse race? Right. Thing. And that's, that's immaterial. It, yeah. So do you think I put you and your dad on the spot, but do yeah. you think your father would, uh, if the Democrats put up somebody like AOC? He'd vote for in a minute. Okay. So when he talks that way, he is a <laughs> right. frightened, paranoid Democratic voter. Yes. And I find this because I have so many people on my show come on saying, I bring everybody on, you know, yeah. to give your your thoughts. And I see Democrats. They, 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 it's like they have this idea about this mythical voter out there who is so fragile that if you say anything too liberal or lefty or whatever, that's it. I'm voting for Trump. I'm you know what I mean? It's such a low well, estimation of voters. Wh- how do we explain? Here's what here. I still I mean, this is, we could talk forever about this. And I know you do. Um, but how do you explain people who went from Obama to Trump? And I, I, it's, I find it inexplicable on one level. On the other level, I find that sometimes it comes down to this weird thing, which is not what my dad's talking about, which comes down to this likability thing. Now, in, to me, the idea that you would like Trump seems crazy, but people watched him on The Apprentice. He's got this weird charisma to him. If he, his rallies, as repugnant as they are, have moments of unbelievable comic timing yeah um obama obviously (laughs) as different as you can imagine but very likable very you know you you, not that you want to have a beer with the guy but i like i like seeing this guy i like so who is that who is that and that's where i would get worried like it's less about maybe ideology but more 
Why are there? Why are? How could there be people who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump? I, I, how could you explain I, that? I cannot explain it. And you're uh, listening to you, uh, Mark. I, I remember what I said in 2016. See, I'm not going to be one of those people that rewrites history. Ugh, he was the one who predicted that Donald <laughs> Trump would win, because I went around saying in 2016 that there's no way that Donald Trump is going to win because you're telling me that somebody who voted for Barack Obama is going to turn around and vote for Donald Trump. And it, it clearly happened uh, enough to win Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, which are the three states. Yeah. So that reminds me of something I learned from Bernie Stone, the late alderman, may he rest in peace, from the 50th Ward. And he said, it's a popularity contest, man. He or you may call me Benny. Uh, but anyway, it, he said, these are popularity contests. It's the most popular person. It's, it's like high school election. It, right? it, it take the light. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, so um, I, at this stage. Now, Hillary did get more votes. So in some ways she, I mean, in, in the way that you would, if it were a popular vote, she was the most yeah. popular, but she, obviously. Was, she won the, she won the election. I always say this to everybody in the studio. She won the election. Then go, well, Ben, we have this electoral college. <laughs> we'll go, that's utterly insane. But. Do you share my belief of that, that the Electoral College is utterly insane? Well, it was founded on on giving slave states more. I mean, yeah, of course <laughs> I do. So, I know. What, what I always find funny is when I have guests in here we, uh, they, who are from blue states, and uh, I, I, I'll say, you know, some about the Electoral College, they go, well, you know, the small states. And I'm like, well, what do you care? You live in Illinois, you know. Anyway. It was a compromise. Why uh, were all the presidents from Virginia? Because of the Electoral College. Uh, yes. Anyway, so that's what we have, uh, Donald Trump. So you're not going to uh, a, uh, interview Donald Trump no. anytime soon. So uh, who who are some of the people you're going to have on the show coming up? Well, I don't know yet. I'm I know I'm having because I'm I'm our next show is not till October. So we're wow. we're taking the summer Good off. God, we're planning you're like some Johnny stuff. Carson. I know it's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 feel, I, I miss it. I don't like. I don't like it. Um, but we are having some chefs on in October. Wait, what do you? So what do you do with your time? I have a do, I have a day job. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I thought the show was your day job. No, it pays for lunch. Oh, okay. Pay for my airfare over here. I, I did not know that. Yeah. What's your day job? I work at Leo Burnett. How did I not know that? Ad agency founded in 1935 by uh, Leo Burnett. Yeah. And uh, best known for, didn't they Jolly Green Giant? They did Jolly Green Giant. They did all the Kellogg stuff. They do the Allstate guy. Wait, you're the, you're in the ad business? Yeah. So do you write the copy? I don't. I'm on the new business team. I'm a writer. I'm on the, but I, I write, I'm kind of the ad agency for the ad agency. So you're a client or a brand or whatever, and you want to, you need a new agency. And then you ask our team, why should we be your, why should, why should Leo Burnett? Oh, you're the guy who does the, the sales pitch. The sale, I, I don't go to the meeting, but I write, I, I write all Have the Have you materials. ever seen this TV show Bewitched? Yeah, of course. You remember Larry? Yeah. Like, which one? Which there was two actors, right? No, wait, not Larry. Larry's boss. Yeah, that. No, I'm not. I, I don't, love that guy. Yeah, that guy was good. That was the guy. Like Larry would make the pitch, the ad guy, and and the boss. Would go, That's a terrible idea. And but the customer would go, I like it, and he would flip like the. Yeah, I love that idea. Anyway, I love it's that been a while. Too. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> um, I did not know that. Yeah. I, maybe I knew that. I forgot it. I don't yeah. know. So that's another reason to tell you the truth. Why. I don't do the show as much. I have, I just got. Yeah, you got a lot to do. I got stuff to do. Yeah. Um, are people in in your world uh, pro-Trump or anti-Trump or do they have no opinion at all in the ad agencies in the, in, in that world of, of Chicago? Well, let me, one thing I wish people talked about more at the ad agency is what is what's going on in the world. I don't think it happens enough. That said, I'm pretty confident that it's all anti-Trump. Well, this is why, we'll close it with this. This is why I'm saying Trump is going to lose. I like this. All I like right. Where you're going. And because uh, mainstream America has been pushing a worldview just in the most general way without any specifics, without any policies, that's all about inclusion and tolerance uh, protecting the planet. This is the message of corporate America and has been the message of corporate America by and large for at least two years. And it is 
antithetical to everything that Trump represents. And I have a hard time believing that the America that buys products based on this appeal, and these are all appeals that are tested to focus groups. They, uh, right. They, they the, care more about the, the majority. The issue what I would have, and I agree with that, everything you just said, mm-hmm. what, what I would, the issue I would have is that right now we have minority rule. Yes, but the, the key are certain states that went for Trump very, in, in very narrow ways. And, um, and that would be, again, I'll repeat them, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin. And um, I have a hard time believing that the people who voted for Trump that in that election, now seeing what he represents and seeing the contrast to what mainstream, stream, uh, mainstream uh, America uh, espouses are going to go double down and vote for Trump again. Listen, I know I'm in the minority. No, by God, I hope you're right, obviously. Everybody comes to the studio, but he's going to win. Look, at, I, I'm in the win-win position. Because yes. if, he, if he wins, I know it. Yeah, if he if he loses, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. No. You know who's what, what's the old boy's name? Uh, the you know who did, who was who said Trump was going to win with the hat? Uh, big fella, Michael Moore. Yeah, man, he's like he yeah. predicted Trump was going to win. So it's like me every year. I said the Bulls are going to win. <laughs> Nobody cares who you know, the Bulls. But if, if, if you I'm get right, it once, right? Oh, wow, there's been no his basketball. <laughs> so Michael Morris for four years. I know my politics. Well, <laughs> now he's going. Did you see him the other day? No, he was don't. really hammering the Democrats about the Mueller testimony the other day. Just you know, saying this is the time to impeach. This guy was horrible up there. Like, oh, I mean, he was just. Well, I agree with him on that. Yeah. I agree with him on both fronts. It's time to impeach, and uh, he was horrible up there. Anyway, that's a topic for another conversation. Uh, Mark Bazer, uh, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. I was going to say, everybody go watch his show, but there's not going to be another Well, they, sh- they keep airing him, though. They do. You might be able to watch him. And I have a podcast. And tell folks how your podcast, where they can find it all. Just like on the, uh, wherever you get your podcast. The interview show with Mark Bazer and then check TTW because they do, they rerun them a lot. And you know, we, because of our shooting, they're pretty evergreen. All right. Very good. Thanks for having me. You're, you are more than welcome. That's Mark Bazer. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.